Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we are diving into the trenches as we start things off with Mr. Relevant, where we welcome back to the show Brandon Thorne does an outstanding job breaking down offensive line play, not just in college with the NFL draft, but also around the NFL. And talking offensive line with Brandon is outstanding. It's always a fun chat. And this week, we're going to talk to him about the top names at offensive tackle, as well as on the interior, and some guys maybe a little bit under the radar that have starting potential in the league. Really fun discussion with Brandon. Brandon, he joins us here to start things off for the show. After that, in Draft Buzz, we've got our Mock Draft Roundup with Ben Fennell. We're going to go into Dane Brugler's latest Mock Draft. He dropped his Mock Draft 2.0 over at The Athletic. Ben and I are going to break it down, a two-round Mock Draft, some big takeaways uh, from that Mock Draft, uh, from that piece. Make sure you go check it out over on The Athletic. We're going to round things out with our Draft Mailbag, a possible first-round trio for the Eagles. One of our listeners dropped that possibility over on our Apple Podcast page, and as always, that is the number one way to reach us here on the show. If you have a question, a mock draft, if you've got uh, uh, player rankings you want us to sort through, whatever it is, jump on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a question. Leave us the comment right there in that comment box, and we will hit on it here in an upcoming show. That said, uh, let's get started here. Excited to sit down once again with Brandon Thorne to talk some offensive line. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey to the Draft podcast for Mr. Relevant, a guy who's been on this show many times before, one of the best voices when it comes to evaluating offensive linemen uh, in the media space. That's Brandon Thorne. He does outstanding work for the Bleacher Report and, and what they've done uh, in terms of assembling a, a little bit of a scouting department there and evaluating these college prospects. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Be sure to subscribe to his Substack as well. Uh, Trench Warfare, just outstanding analysis, not just of the college o- offensive linemen, but certainly uh, NFL D defensive lineman, offensive lineman, uh, your, your uh, quality sack rate, all that stuff, just outstanding analysis. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the show. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate all the, the the introduction there and everything, and it's always a pleasure to be here, so I'm excited to talk some offensive line. All right, well, let's get into uh, some of these top names. And, you know, look, all, all intents and purposes, a lot of people will look at this draft class and say, and I think it's, this narrative is a little bit overplayed personally, but we'll say oh, it's a little bit of a weak class. They don't, you lack the blue chip talent. I look at these offensive linemen and I say, man, like there, there's a handful of guys that you could be really, really excited about. Uh, and we'll start with, I would say probably the biggest name most people would have this guy as the number one offensive tackle. Uh, and that's Alabama's Evan Neal. Uh, interesting to kind of get your evaluation on Neal and, and how you project him moving forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, Evan Neal's a guy I'm very high on. Uh, I think, you know, you start with his size, man. I mean, you know, six, seven, three fifty, And the way he moves, um, I think is really impressive in pass protection, um, even in space in the run game. But like, I think he's really smooth, um, at his size. I feel like I, you know, I didn't see Becton in college. I didn't evaluate him fully. So I'm not really sure how he looked in pass protection necessarily. I saw some of the run blocking, you know, highlights and all that, but, um, man, I just can't recall a guy at his size moving as smoothly as he does in pass protection, you know, with his footwork, I think he has the range to play on an Island and protect the corner. Um, and he has some really good weight distribution as well to kind of transfer his weight inside and, um, you know, just, just play on an Island. Um, you know, and plus he's obviously a very difficult obstacle to work around. He has plenty of length to keep, to keep guys at his fingertips. 
Um, you know, so like I, I really like him in pass protection, you know, some things to clean up at the top of the quarterback's drop when they get level with the quarterback. Um, sometimes he can lean a little bit there. And then there's some leaning stuff in the run game as well. I think a lot of that has to do with his hands being wide and he doesn't reset and refit quick enough. Um, and it leaves him uh, overextended at times. So, you know, his sustain um, ability in the run game, I'd probably say is more like average. Uh, you know, that's kind of one of the weak spots, but man, he's only played left, left tackle for one year. Um, he's played, you know, three positions for one year, basically. Um, so he doesn't really have that continuity at one position yet. So I think uh, he could certainly improve, you know, the finer aspects of playing left tackle, if that's, you know, we're assuming he plays um, or right tackle even. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I think the physical traits are there in droves. Um, he's pretty polished overall, you know, still some things to clean up, but given the context we've said, I think it's still impressive and he's young, man. I mean, he's really young. Uh, I think he's 21, um, right now. Uh, yeah, let me double check. Yeah. He's 21. I mean, he turns 22 in September. So like, he's really young, um, as well. So there's that runway to improve. I think he has pro bowl potential at either tackle spot. Um, he's right in the running for me as tackle one. I mean, to me, it's a big three, it's a tier one of three guys at tackle. And he's right now for me, number two, but that's fluid as the off season progresses and everything. So with Neil, you know, you mentioned obviously a, a deep evaluation there. I think the, the versatility aspect for him, uh, just so, so important. And he's got, that's something that, you know, EK Aquanu, uh, Charles Cross, those guys don't necessarily have uh, that proven versatility at a high level. You mentioned he played left tackle. He's played right tackle. He was a starter at left guard as a true freshman in 2019. So he's got not only left, right versatility, but inside outside versatility. And if you could just talk real quickly about how important you view that versatility moving moving forward into the NFL and what that means for uh, the team that selects him. Yeah, it just, um, it just increases your ability to provide value to an offensive line room in case, you know, you know, depending on personnel injury, uh, stuff like that, it can get you out of a pinch as an offensive line coach, as an offense, you know, when you got, have a guy, you know, who could play multiple positions. So, I mean, it, it definitely helps. Um, He's a tackle all day from for me. I think that's you know where you gotta put this guy. Uh, but it is kind of nice, you know, I guess in an emergency or whatever, if you needed to fill in at guard. I remember Trent Williams played left guard uh in Washington uh one game. I still have those clips that I, I watch actually from time to time. He was absolutely dominant, it was insane. But like, you know, you never know if if a guard gets hurt and you don't have another guy there and you have a guy more comfortable at center or whatever, maybe you might have to play guard. So in those off chances, I think it, it's helpful there as well. So it, there is some value there for sure. And you don't really have to project it because we've seen it. So exactly. that's, that's always nice. No doubt. Uh, so you mentioned that you kind of have him penciled in as your number two guy in, in that first year. Who is that? Who is the number one guy in pencil uh, at this point as we record this on, uh, what's the January 19th? Yeah, it's 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 Iguanu, uh from, from NC State. And the reason is I just think, when you look at these three guys, their their best traits and kind of their trump cards, I think his is probably the most impressive, even though yeah. it's in the run game. And that's just explosive power. Um, I mean, just he is twitched up, explosive, some of the heaviest hands you'll ever see. Um, and he could really deliver a lot of jarring force at the point of attack. And he gets after guys too. He, he finishes um, at such a high level. I mean, he's a bulldozer, you know, at times in the run game. And he's so athletic, man. I mean, in space, like tracking down targets at the second and third levels as well. 
So you get some like, I, you know, that in that respect, like a young Jason Peters kind of guy in the run game, um, the pass protection. I don't know if it'll get to that point where, you know, Peters got to, um, but I kind of see a guy in the run game similar to that. Um, but yeah, pass protection, there's, you know, how Neil, we touched on his questions. Equanu has some serious questions in pass protection to me. Um, you know, you watch him in 2021 and I think I watched like seven or eight games of him and I watched him, you know, sequentially, you know, so I started Mississippi state, Clemson, Miami, FSU. And then when you got to wake forest, Syracuse and UNC, especially wake forest and Syracuse, I thought his technique started to break down. I thought some of the stuff that, that popped up in those earlier games where he was oversetting guys and letting guys get inside of him or lift up, you know, his inside shoulder, um, you know, his strike location was off. I thought that got exacerbated when the competition dropped, um, you know, against Wake and Syracuse. I thought his technique kind of fell apart a little bit as the year went on. That to me kind of gave me a little hesitation on the tackle one designation. I still have him there, but like I'm more open to being moved off that spot because I think he still does need some refine, some clear refinement in pass protection with his technique that will get exacerbated in the pros. I mean, if, you know, I think so much of this has to do with fit, right? Like we're, we're um, projecting guys kind of on a general level for the whole NFL. But like, if I was scouting for a specific team, like not that these teams need left tackles, but like the Vikings, the 49ers, um, the Browns, a team that is going to run the ball first play action, second drop back game, third, Icky's my number one tackle because if you're if you're asking him to run block first, play action second, so he can eliminate the runway on rushers, get his hands on guys quick, use that snatch trap technique and play physical and go after guys, and then the drop back game is like you know a third kind of peg uh, you know on the offensive hierarchy. And if you throw, especially if you throw in like RPOs and screens in there too, yeah. and it's like man, just it could really kind of uh, lower the amount of pure drop back sets he's going to have. Exactly. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm evaluating for that specific kind of offense, he's my number one guy. Mm. Generally, that's why I have some pause because he, you know, I don't think if he's going to a, a place where it's more drop back game, we have an elite quarterback say, or, you know, just uh, more of a downfield kind of passing game and you, you need time, you need him to play on an Island. Like, you know, not that a lot of offenses do that, but that gives me some pause um, for him. But man, I mean, I think in the right, scheme and there's a lot of schemes that do that titans are another one there's a lot of places that run the ball first play action rpo don't really do a lot of drop back i mean i think he could be an impact player right away man i mean just the stuff he does in the run game is i think really special um and he has all the traits you could want um you know i, I love the way he plays i think he's going to appeal to coaches and scouts because he kind of has that white hot motor you know, that coaches love, he's a finisher and then to scouts because he has the traits I mean, he has athletic ability. He has the, um, the movement skills, uh, you know, the quickness and the burst and all that stuff. Um, I just think, you know, technically is, is the stuff holding him back. And that's why I wanted to follow that up. And it's almost like, I remember, you know, go back a while. Like I remember, I think it was 2012 when DJ Fluker was coming out of Alabama and he was the, the right tackle there. And it was like, look, this guy is a, a monster run blocker, questionable pass protector, but this guy's a top 10, top 12 pick 
all day. And he ended up going in the first round uh, and obviously didn't, didn't last at offensive tackle, but his issues in terms of pass protection were more from a, a, a talent and feet question, like the things that yeah. can't necessarily improve. And as you mentioned there, uh, it's not like, oh, this guy's got to move into guard because the, the same issues that plague him at tackle, they would still pop up inside. It would look a little bit different, but uh, to your point, it's these are things that are coachable and hey, down the line, we can get this guy to be uh, a better pass protector from a technique standpoint. I think so. Yeah. If you can get him into that right scheme and system where, you know, he's able to be aggressive and jump set guys more often, you know, you look at the chiefs, you know, they're heavy jump set team as well. Um, at least inside more so actually than tackle, but, but yeah, there's a lot of systems where, you know, you could allow him to be aggressive, you know, and get his hands on guys quickly. Cause it, once he gets his hands on guys, you know, that's where you really love him and pass protection. He's physical. He has, you know, really good grip strength, all that stuff. And he can, you know, mirror guys and stay balanced once he's engaged. It's just a matter of lining guys up in space when he's on an island, that type of stuff. That's where the, you know, th there's a lot more variance in his game, I think. Yeah, and as you mentioned at the top, I, I love the way you framed it. His trump card is better than anybody else's. And I would, I would honestly, I might make the argument that his trump card not just better than any offensive lineman, but better than any better than any other uh, player in this class. Like what he does in the run game might be better than anything else that any other player in the group, uh, you know, brings to their future team. Uh, look, there's a reason why. Look, we're going to be breaking down Dane uh, Dane Brugger's mock draft in the next segment. He's got him going number one overall uh, in that mm -hmm. mock. And, you know, Equano, just a really, really impressive player. Now, let's get to that third guy in that top tier for you. That's Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Left tackle there. Uh, he's now a two-year starter. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts there on the uh, the former uh, Bulldogs left tackle. Yeah, man. he He's a guy, the more I watched, the more he, he grew on me. Um, I mean, just because he was so consistent in pass protection, I think he's probably the most polished and talented pass blocker in the class. Yep. Um, and that, you know, in of itself could warrant being the top tackle in the draft. Um, if you value pass protection above all else, which, you know, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think he's just, and, and for being so young and inexperienced, that's what makes him so intriguing uh, because he is very young. Um, you know, he's the same, basically the same exact age as Evan Neal They're You know, they turned 22 in the same month. Um, so they're both 21 years old right now. Uh, the, the only difference is he only has 22 starts under his belt. Um, so man, I mean, that makes him very appealing. I think he has like, you know, pro bowl, all pro potential, honestly. I mean, you know, it, the only thing that really gives you pause about him is the air raid, but when you, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for the air raid, you know, Andre Dillard is the most recent example of how it made things easier for him, um, which it kind of does, but like, the way that he played in the situations he was in, he was on an island a lot of the times against excellent competition. Um, and then in the run game, man, like I think he has starter level play strength and physicality. Like he's not soft in the run game at all. He's not he a passive player at all. No, no, not at all, man. I mean, he can really like, you know, leverage blocks and steer guys. He has, you know, his hand placement from pass protection transfers to the run game. Um, you know, and his hands are phenomenal, man. We're fine. They're potent. I mean, he finds a sweet spot on rushers. It's that Bakhtiari thing, you know, like where as soon as he latches his hands, they're on the armpit kind of area. And that's where he engages guys like every time. I mean, it, you know, I mean, most, most times I'll say, um, and that's just so impressive to be able to gain control that quickly. I mean, it speaks to your feet, you know, you're putting yourself in that position to, to line guys up, frame guys up. But then, man, I mean, just the control he plays with, um, he's very nimble as well. He can reset and refit on blocks. Weight distribution and balance are outstanding. 
Um, he's athletic. Like he, when it's all said and done, I'll just say it. I mean, I think he has a very good chance of being my offensive tackle one in the class, man. I mean, I, you know, I just, the more I hear about him, you know, uh, it's just, yeah, man, he, he, his arrow is pointing up for me. I'd like to maybe watch one or two more games just to see it again. But like, I'm, I think I've watched five or six already and like, they all look the same. Um, you know, he, uh, he's very impressive man. And I think he has a very high ceiling. Yeah, uh, he's a, it's an impressive group with with, the, with that trio, and it's almost you you don't want to just kind of uh, paint these guys broad strokes, but if you look at it, it's, hey, Charles Cross, best pure pass protector, uh, Equanu, best pure run blocker, Evan Neal, best combo of the two. Uh, I guess that's a, an easy way for most fans to kind of look at that trio, but it's a, a really really uh, good group there at the top. I want to ask you too about a couple other players that not necessarily uh, under the radar, but maybe in that next bucket, uh, at least the way I view them. Uh, and Daniel Falalele from Minnesota, Trevor Penning uh, as well, coming from Northern Iowa. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on those two guys. How do they compare to each other? Do you view one as completely better than the other? Uh, how do you view that pairing in Falalele and Penning? Yeah, um, I have Penning uh, ahead of Falalele, but not by a whole lot. I have them um, in the same tier. So I have them as a, I have uh, Penning as a seven nine and um, Falele as a seven seven, which to me is a potential impact player, second round grades on both of them. Uh, you know, I have a good feeling that uh, Penning at least might sneak into the first. You know, maybe potentially a top half. I don't know. You know, right. I think he's physically, man. I mean, like you know, very impressive, six seven three twenty. Um, light on his feet, fluid movement skills in space, you know, prototypical size and tools and all that kind of stuff, bully mentality. He dominates competition regularly. Um, you know, he has, he has some, uh, crafty hand usage as well. He'll snatch guys on their face, you know, if they long arm him and go power, he has flash technique. He, so he mixes some stuff in some nuance to his game. I love that he can generate torque on command in the run game to get guys, you know, out of the spot, you know, uproot their feet. Um, you know, so I think he could play in any scheme as well. He has the quickness strength combination there, but technically definitely some stuff to clean up. I think he has moments where he looks disinterested or kind of bored. I think he plays down to competition at times and gets maybe a little sloppy. Um, you know, for as dominant as he is on tape, when you really drill into his tape and watch him, um, when guys kind of are able to get inside and stand up to him, I mean, he'll get stood up his pads you know can get high um i think he plays high a little too often leaves that inside shoulder vulnerable to getting opened up by speed to power uh he'll drop his outside foot and play with a soft edge and pass protection and get beat around the corner sometimes um so i think he has more to clean up than the first three that we talked about uh but in terms of power athletic ability size i think you know and, and demeanor for the most part He'll be a, probably a starter right away, um, and he could be an impact starter if he can learn to play with better you know, discipline, uh, consistent leverage, and hand placement. I think those are the three things that need to be improved. But, I mean, I think he's going to be a riser in the process when you look at the combine and stuff like that. The stuff that he's probably going to do is going to be impressive. He reminded me on first viewing a lot of Matt Filer um, yeah, when he was playing right tackle in Pittsburgh. Um, I, I think he's kind of similar, just a higher ceiling because I think he's more athletic. So, uh, yeah, but really interesting player. He's my OT five right now. Um, I think he's really interesting. 
Yeah, he's a, a really interesting player. And real quickly, you know, you talked about the, the, the power that he has shown. You and I have talked a little bit about this in the past, but, um, you know, when people talk about a guy needs to get stronger, there's two kind of uh, buckets for play strength, right? There's the power element of being able to move another defender, another bot, another player against their will. So, you know, basically play strength in the run game. And then there's your anchor strength when someone else is trying to move you against their will and you're able to stop uh, their force. So play strength in the pass game. Do you view one as more important than the other? Do you view one as harder to develop than the other? Uh, what, how do you kind of prioritize and kind of uh, sparse that out? So for me, I look at play strength as basically like the ability to overcome force with force. So if you're getting, you know, bull rushed, you're able to overcome and kind of flip the script on that and, and grind that to a halt, you know, um, maybe turn the tide and actually start driving the guy back in the run game. It's, you know, initially there's a stalemate and you're able to strain on the block and generate just enough movement, um, get the guy's feet, you know, moving off the spot, uproot them. That's just overall play strength. And then power is the ability to really just create that sudden force at the point of attack for immediate movement. Yep. Um, so it's more like an explosive element type thing. So I, I look at, that's kind of how I separate power and strength. Um, and as far as importance, I'd probably say, probably say play strength is just a hair more important um, because it's more um, you use it more uh, power. I mean, it can really be helpful, but like, I feel like power is more rare. Like if for a guy to have an elite, elite power or elite play strength, I feel like I see play strength more like in the run game. Most of the time you're going to need to use play strength to get a guy moved as opposed to power. If you can use power and create sudden movement, that's great. But then a guy can slip a block and get by you. I mean, play strength is more of a, um, it's something that's more, I don't know how to explain it more consistent, I guess, mm. uh, you know, and I think it's just more applicable to what is needed to win as an offensive lineman. So play strength is a little bit more important to me than power. Um, but with penning, I think you see both yep. but, uh, maybe a little bit more power with his game than anything. Cause guys are so much smaller than him. He could just knock guys off their feet right away. He doesn't really have to use play strength all the time. Um, but in the times that he does, that's when he can kind of, kind of get sloppy, I think. And that's what I think is so interesting, too, because, you know, we see so many players get drafted in the first round for, you know, first two rounds, first three rounds that, you know, hey, look, their athleticism is a plus. Their play strength right now is lacking. Hey, they're, they're 290 pounds or 280 pounds playing in college. Now they get up to 305. They're still not where they need to be, to, you know, to, from a play strength standpoint they get thrown into the fire early. We see Colton Miller and Garrett Bowles and Brian O'Neill, right? These guys that get thrown in and maybe it's a little rough for them early, but as you see them get bigger and get stronger, Colton Miller uh, gets that contract. You see guys that are able to add that and get a little bit stronger. The power element, that's tough to always see that, like improve it. As I mentioned, yeah. like you need those explosive traits in your body to be able to, you know, transfer that power. And if you don't have that, I don't know that that's, that's, that's a little bit harder to acquire. So like uh, it's such an interesting kind of discussion to say like, oh, what is more important to you? I think you, you need to be strong, uh, powerful. I think kind of that's like a separating factor almost. Like when you look at like the, the A plus players, almost all those guys have that power. So I guess if you don't have it, that kind of caps the ceiling. I agree. That's, that's well said. Yeah. Natural power. I mean, it's, it's natural, you know, I mean, most of the time you have it or you don't, uh, strength, you can improve at the margins. I mean, you're not going to go from average to elite, obviously, but you can go from average to above average or something yeah. like that or above average to very good. But yeah. So I think, you know, power, you're not really going to really get it a whole lot. You know, I mean, it is one of those things, like you said, like it's, it's in your body and in your 
ability to do it naturally or not. And yeah, I think that's, I don't want to, uh, kind of over, you know, or restate what you're saying too much. I mean, I think you said it well, so yeah, I, I agree totally. And that is something that makes penning very interesting because he has that power. You see it. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't always work when the competition is more even, um, and you have to really dig through the tape to see some guys who can challenge him. Um, because a lot of the times they can't, and he's just, you know, wrecking guys at the point of attack. But, um, that's another thing why I kind of favor play strength is it's more translatable. A lot of the time, I mean, power is, is really nice to have, but like, you're not just going to overpower guys in the NFL a whole lot, unless it's just, you know, I don't know, like who's the most powerful guy in the league, Trent Williams or something, you know, he can do it. But most of the time you're going to need strength leverage, which kind of is like goes hand in hand with strength. You're going to need to be able to play with good leverage and good and strength as well to move guys in the NFL power is nice, but I think you have to have that strength to kind of accentuate the power. If that makes sense. That makes sense uh, for sure. Well, well, let's get into uh, some of these interior guys and obviously the big name he's in pretty much the the top half of every mock draft you're going to find. And that's Iowa center, Tyler Linderbaum. We've seen him as high as the the top seven, top eight of mock drafts. Now it seems like most mocks have him in that middle of round one. He's a very chic pick uh, for the Eagles having three first round picks in the middle of the round. So I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on Tyler Linderbaum and, and his best scheme fit and just, how you see him projecting to the league. Yeah. So definitely a a zone scheme, you know, what he ran at Iowa, it would be nice to see him do that as well um, in the NFL. Cause that's what he, you know, that's where all his great tape is at is in the zone run game. Um, You know, I'm very high on him. I I have him with pretty much the same grade as I had on Landon Dickerson last year. uh, Just, just for film wise, Um, you know, not all the other stuff. Um, And that to me is like a bona fide first round pick, not a top 10 pick though. And the reason for that is, is because, you know, at 290 pounds, um, you know, Kelsey, I know gets thrown around a lot and he's just kind of a unicorn. I mean, I would love to say, I think Linderbaum is like him in the run game, but like the ability to anchor um, in pass protection, I thought was a little up and down with Linderbaum. Um, I think he's, and you know, we'll, we'll kind of start from the beginning. I think he's a little bit over, over reliant on two hand striking guys and protection. Mm-hmm. So if he misses, he gets one of those hands knocked down and guys get into his chest. I mean, he could be controlled pretty easily, um, at that point. Um, you know, I, I think the weight and girth are kind of marginal for him and it kind of causes him to be tardy to anchor sometimes when bigger rushers can get inside of him. Um, I think you saw that in multiple tapes this year, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, um, maybe Michigan a little bit. <clears throat> so I saw him get picked a couple times as well. You know, with if he's engaged and the guy's coming, you know, off the side, um, he can really get knocked off his levels. Um, and that's just because he's a little bit smaller in stature. You know, he just doesn't have a lot of weight uh, to hold himself in place a lot of the time. So I think his, if his technique gets better in pass protection, not that it's bad, I think it's you know probably good right now above average, but like I, I think it's going to need to be almost pristine for him to be like a really good pass protector in the NFL. I think right now it'll probably be like average and he'll get into some trouble against like, you know, high level interior rushers. Um, but with that said, like in the run game, man, like initial quickness, contact balance, body control, he stays attached and inside of blocks so well. Um, I think his grip, grip strength is elite, um, leg drive. I mean, he's very mobile in his hips. I mean, he can really bend and unlock them and explode into contact. 
Um, he, he's, he's a special run blocker and that's why I have him, you know, graded where, where I do. I think he's an impact run blocker right away, man. I mean, mm. he, he, not just the power element, he's nasty as well. He gets after guys. He's very good with his timing on combo blocks. He knows how to, um, fit on those combo blocks, when to release, when to stay, when to overtake. He's very, very refined in that, in that regard. Um, when he's uncovered in pass protection, I mean, he's a force. I mean, he's going to look for work and, uh, collapse the adjacent rushers. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot to like about him, man. I just, you know, I don't see like a top 10 guy, like a generational center. You know, I think we talked about this, like Bruce Matthews was the guy I think who went top 10 right at center, but like Bruce Matthews played right tackle and was an all pro, yep. you know, right guard. Cause he's six, six, three, whatever. Um, so, you know, I see Linderbaum as more of a zone only center only prospect. Um, but with that said, a very, very good one. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see just what what the narrative is on him as we get closer and closer uh, to April's draft. Uh, a couple other guys in the interior that I think are people are most people are having in that top fifty conversation: Zion Johnson from Boston College, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Both guys have uh, dipped a little bit into the tackle waters as well. Kenyon Green has played a bunch of spots. Uh, Zion has played both spots on the left side. Interesting guy to get your thoughts on those two players and, and how they compare and contrast each other. So I think Kenyon Green has a little bit higher of a ceiling than Zion, but I like Zion's floor a little bit more. Um, just you know, in terms of year one, I see Zion being better. Um, you know, and if I'm making a bet, you know, obviously we're evaluating on a general perspective. If Kenyon goes to a place where he's going to be coached up by somebody outstanding, Jeff Stoutland, you know, Callahan, somebody like that, I'd probably go with Kenyon. Um, but Zion, I think, can fit into more places and require less refinement than Kenyon does. Um, you know, so for Kenyon Green, I think erratic wide hand placement, um, you know, kind of a bad habit of not always bringing his feet into contact. He tends to lean and just try to wrestle guys that challenge him. Um, doesn't reset his hands quickly enough. He, he kind of, he doesn't get out of poorly leveraged positions very well. Um, and I think he needs to be more patient and not overset against shifty rushers and pass protection. So like those type of things, I don't really see a whole lot with Zion. Um, Zion to me is is more clean. Uh, you know, his film is just cleaner. Um, so that's why I like Zion more. I have Zion with the first round grade uh, right now, um, like late first, early second. And I have Kenyon with more of like a firm second. Now, I think Kenyon will probably get drafted ahead of him because his traits, um, you know, I just, I think he's more athletic, a little bit more explosive, but Man, you know, going back to our power play strength conversation, uh, Zion's play strength, I think, is outstanding, man. Um, he's more smooth and explosive. Um, but, man, like, he's polished, well-rounded. Um, I think his body control is really good. I think he's going to be a plus starter right away. I compared him to Kevin Zeitler, another late first-round pick who had a 10-year career, uh, you know, just being a very good player. I, that's how I see Zion um, now, you know. If I had to make a bet, I'd probably say, like I said, Kenyon's going to go higher, but I like Zion a little bit more uh, just because I think he's more of a quote unquote safe kind of guy, but Kenyon has that higher you know, ceiling. Yeah, I think you did a great job of kind of breaking those guys down and how they differentiate from each other. Both both of them uh, definitely have some admirable traits to work with. I agree that I, I kind of like Zion a little bit more, but you like uh, Kenyon Green's upside. Um, and certainly both guys having that versatility is going to be really helpful. Uh, last question for you, Brandon. 
we talked about a handful of guys. Is there a guy from each group, maybe the one offensive tackle, one interior guy that stand out to you as potential NFL starters or guys with high upside that we didn't hit on, but you're willing to say like, yeah, like I feel really good about this player. Man. Um, so a tackle, I see the interior class is better than the tackle class right now. I'm like 45 guys deep in the offensive line class. So I haven't seen everybody, but um, I like the interior class more. So there's, there's several options here for interior guys for me, um, man. I, I mean, I really like Marquise Hayes. I, I really like Lasita Smith. And I mean, even Ed Ingram grew on me, Cole Strange. It's like, do you have a guy you want me to talk about out of those? Because those four guys. <laughs> well, you, I know you were very high on uh, on Hayes, on Marquise Hayes from Oklahoma. So I am interested to kind of get your thoughts there. 6'5", 330 pounds. This is a big boy uh, playing inside for Oklahoma. Uh, I think he's only played left guard throughout his career. I think he, he dabbled some with on the right side a little bit early on. But uh, interesting to kind of get your, get your thoughts on, uh, on Hayes. Yeah, yeah. 36 starts at left guard um, in his career. Um, but – Man, I mean, he's a tone setter, uh, you know, on the offensive line. Competitive toughness is outstanding. Um, I think he has very good grip strength. He's violent, powerful at the point of attack. Um, you know, I, I think once he gets his latch on guys, he's very good at sustaining and gaining control of blocks. Um, man, I think he works his pads under defenders well on contact. He digs guys out well on drive and down blocks. He has a wide base, sustained leg drive. Um, you know, he uses probably the two most impressive things to me were he uses independent hands and pass protection. He can strike reset and stay leverage on blocks. He's not just a guy's two hand striking. He's not, he's not like a Deontay Brown where it's like, I'm going to try to strike you with two hands. If I miss, I'm done. Like he has some independent hands. He's kind of crafty with his hands and pass protection. And that appealed to me. And then his mental processing was probably the most appealing thing to me because for a guy to be such a tone setter, to also have that processing ability was very impressive. You saw it, I think, on the ability to sort gap exchanges. I mean, something that I see on tape, I don't know about you, but like at the snap, if guy, if a defense is gap exchanging or slanting across an offensive lineman's face, it's not often you see them not lunge in those positions or miss their target. But I thought he did a very nice job of, of um, um, adapting to those situations and being able to control himself and stay on the guy, on the defender. You see it on stunts and line games and pass protection as well. So, like, that type of stuff really appealed to me. Um, I, I don't think his ceiling is particularly high because, I mean, I, I mean, he has a very upright playing style. His hand placement can get wide at times. Um, his foot quickness is below average, I think. He's, he's a little sluggish redirecting suddenly. Um, laterally, if he has to mirror really shifty guys. Um, so like sub package rushers and stuff like that, but the way he uses his hands, he gives himself a chance. Um, and I think that's really appealing considering what he does as a run blocker. Um, so for me, he's like a fringe second round guy. Like I, I think he's early third, second round. That's where I have him graded as a pro, not as a college prospect, but as a pro, he reminds me a lot of Dalton Reisner. Um, you know, Reisner obviously played tackle, but, but yep. like as a pro, the way they win at guard, you know, Dalton Reisner is an excellent puller. Hayes is a good puller um, and they, they're crafty and they're smart. Um, so, you know, Reisner's not the most athletic guy. He, he's had some rough movements as a pro, but like all in all, he's a solid starter. And I think that's kind of how Hay that's how I see Hayes. So, yeah, he, he was fun, man. I, I was very pleasantly surprised by him.
you mentioned the processing with him. I almost look at it as like a, a, a duck on a pond, right? Like above the surface, everything is calm. Everything is still, but beneath the surface, that's where all the, you know, all the, all the work's happening down there. And I kind of view that with Hayes. It's like, uh, you could tell he saw things so fast, but he never looked panicked. It never was like, oh man, like this guy uh, is kind of swimming out there. Um, uh, I thought that that was something that really stood out with me uh, about Marquise Hayes. Uh, you mentioned earlier that Penning was your fifth tackle. And you obviously, you talked about that, t- the top three. Who's uh, who's your fourth tackle? So I, right now I have Bernard Raymond, man. And Not it's Central Michigan, okay. Yeah, it's just by a hair. Um, I have Bernard Raymond with an 8-0 and Penning with a 7-9. Um, you know, this is going to be fluid based on Senior Bowl, based on, uh, sure. you know, Pro Day Combine, stuff like that to kind of break the tie almost. But, like, I, I basically picked Raymond ahead of him because a couple things. Um, you know, he, he is older, uh, so that kind of throws a wrench in his evaluation, but he's very young in terms of, offensive line experience. Um, you know, he only has 18 starts. Uh, this was his second year of his life playing offensive line. And when you factor that in and you watch his tape and you see the improvement from Missouri and LSU, even though he showed some nice things in those games, I thought you could certainly see the rawness. And then you get late in the year and you watch Miami of Ohio, he still showed some stuff, some rawness there, but Western Michigan, Toledo, those tapes. I mean, I feel like he got better and better as the year went on. So I see this, you know, I see that kind of trajectory with him where it's like, I'm seeing this improvement in his game. He's only played 18 games in his life at the position. Like this is, he's really appealing to me for those reasons. Um, I think he's very skilled in pass protection. Uh, I think he has the athletic ability, the body control and balance that you like to see. He's very competitively tough. He's a good finisher. Um, You know, I, I just, I liked a lot about him, man. I mean, Right now, I think he's just a little bit cleaner than Penning. Um, is he kind of reminds me of the profile of, of Garrett Bowles? You know, Garrett Bowles was a 25 year old rookie. That's what Raymond's going to be. You know, I think he's a little bit more refined than Bowles with less experience. Uh, Bowles didn't have a lot of experience either, though, because he was like a Juco guy and stuff like that. So, um, man, I'm, I'm just really intrigued with him. I can't wait to see him at Mobile. Yeah, I think when you look at offensive tackles in the past, go down to Mobile, and you'll see that that can be a huge springboard for them moving forward. I think of Lane Johnson, honestly, in 2013. Uh, he was right around the stage where Bernard Raymond is in terms of like what the discussion was, what the narrative was about uh, Lane Johnson going into the senior ball, like – Maybe he's a dark horse to go late round one, but probably more of a second round pick. Goes down there and was one of the top two or three players in Mobile. And what's he become? He was a fourth overall pick. Uh, we'll see if that happens with Raymond. I know that Jim Nagy has made that comparison with Trevor Penning and Eric Fisher, ironically from the same class. Um, so we'll see if that's something that uh, happens with either of those two guys because you won't see Evan Neal, no Iki Aquanu, no Charles Cross uh, down in Mobile. But Fala Lele will be down there. Penning will be down there. Hayes, Raymond, uh, a bunch of these guys. Zion Johnson, uh, a bunch of those guys will be down down there so certainly a good experience and uh brian we will see you uh down in mobile at the senior ball uh we'll see if we can get you during the week of practice and uh, react to some of the things you see but uh thanks so much for joining us once again here on the journey of the draft podcast again everybody go follow brandon's work his sub stack follow him on twitter at brandon thorn nfl brandon talk to you again soon man all right man sounds good now it's time for draft buzz all right, let's transition now to draft buzz as I welcome in Ben Fennell to break down a, a mock draft. And Ben, this week we're going to, uh, I don't know, you know, this bum, Dane Brugler, we don't even know if he knows what he's talking about, but uh, I'm sure somebody uh, is reading his work and we're, we're going to read it now. Uh, we're going to go through with uh, Dane's uh, second mock draft is mock draft 2.0. Obviously, we're kidding with our uh, our, our weekly co-host, Ben. Uh, let's get into uh, Dane's second mock draft here of uh, the NFL draft season. 
Yeah, really fun uh, to dive into. A lot of teams have turned the page to the draft. A couple more joining the party over their losses in the playoffs over the weekend, the Philadelphia Eagles being one of them. Three first-round picks ahead. We're in the draft season. So, Dane Brugler, when you talk draft, we listen, mock draft. Let's dive into it. No doubt. So let's get into uh, the, the top 15 picks. A big surprise here. Uh, number one, Ben, with Ike McClanu going number one overall. I'm, I'm pretty sure that would be the first uh, in any mock drafts that you're seeing uh, in the media space. But was that the most surprising pick for you in the top 15 or did you go elsewhere? No, I still think that's the most surprising. And I think Jacksonville just bolstering the trenches is probably a good formula on either side of the ball and try to keep that quarterback upright. Um, but if I had to throw one extra eye-popping selection in here, how about Trayvon Walker being the first of the national championship Georgia Bulldogs mm -hmm. coming off the board, which we're all anticipating potentially a record number of draft picks from a team or a side of the ball with this Georgia defense. I don't think a lot of people expected big Trayvon Walker to be the first of the group, not N'Kobe Dean, not Jordan Davis, not, you know, Lewis Sign, maybe the safety on the back end. I don't think a lot of people realize Trayvon Walker might be the best pro of the bunch. He is a really, really good player. No, it's a, and we know that Dane uh, loves Trayvon Walker. So that, uh, to me, like seeing him that high, I know that he's going to be on the high end of the totem pole uh, when it comes to him. Uh, for me, Garrett Wilson at number 10 uh, to the New York Jets. And to me, like if you're looking at wide receiver body types and skill sets, you're trying to put guys in the buckets, which you know you have to do because there are so many different uh, you know skill sets there and in that one position group in that one umbrella. I feel like you would put Garrett Wilson and the guy who went number 10 in last year's draft, Devontae Smith, in similar buckets, right? Do you think that's fair, number one? And then number two, how would you compare personally Devontae to, to Garrett Wilson? Do you view Wilson in that same kind of ilk that uh, he would go in the top 10? Yeah, I think he has that playmaking ability and the, uh, the ability to kind of win at all three levels, really good route runner, dynamic after the catch, in a kind of an undersized slight frame, but, you know, that's uh, – Kind of the, the nature of that business and nature of that position to be a little bit smaller and more shifty and quick footed and still have a, a vertical gear. I'm just more concerned about the direction of the Jets, you know, going with receiver skill player, some help for Zach Wilson on the outside. Did anybody watch the 2021 Jets and say, man, those receivers just didn't separate. Zach Wilson just didn't have the help on the other end. You got to help them up front, help this offensive line, stabilize the offensive line, whether Becton's part of this team or not. I think Elijah Barrett Tucker was a really good piece. Need to kind of fix that right side and the future of this Jets offensive line. Garrett Wilson, nice player, receiver one off Dane's board, yep. going to be a good pro. But is this the most critical need for this Jets team? So kind of a multi-layered conversation as many of these picks are. Well, we'll see an, an offensive lineman go off the board at number 15 overall, and that's the Eagles' first pick in this mock draft. It's the pick that comes over from Miami, and it's going to be a familiar name, Ben, in this segment every week as we look at the Eagles' picks. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum, as we talked about, he's going to be a very popular selection. We talked about him last segment uh, with Brandon Thorne. Uh, here's the blurb from Dane on the selection. He said, obviously, this pick is based on the future of Jason Kelsey, who just earned his fourth All-Pro nod. Even if he returns for his age 35 season in 2022, Kelsey would be the ideal mentor for Linderbaum who has exceptional quickness and a nasty streak to dominate defenders. So, uh, Ben, I mean, we, as I said, we're, we have talked a lot about Linderbaum and his fit with the Eagles and the comparisons to Kelsey, and uh, it's just it's going to be funny. This is going to be a weekly uh, discussion, I feel like, uh, with this pick and this team. Well, he's a really good player, and I feel like every year the interior offensive line guys are really tough to peg. Yeah. 
whether it's the guards, whether it's some of the centers, but going back a few years ago, like uh, uh, Bradbury or Elfline or mm. um, uh, Ragnar, really trying really to figure price. out where, yep. where they're going to fall in the first round. You feel good about them as pros and their projections and their fits in the NFL, but where is someone going to ring the bell as far as spending some draft capital on them? And I see Linderbaum in that similar cat and mouse, a guy that was in the top 10 consensusly throughout the season, now sliding into the mid area of the first round. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him continuing to slide just based on that kind of positional value and the positional projection and um, some of the other needs and depth around the league. But I really like his incorporation into our offensive line room, whether at guard or center, taking over for Jason Kelsey. Really good player. The conversation with Linderbaum, where do you pull the trigger as far as draft capital? And we all know the Eagles, we have quite a bit of draft capital. Could we risk going somewhere else and maybe getting a Linderbaum and a couple more picks later? That's the whole kind of uh, cat and mouse risk reward of the draft. Well, let's get to uh, the next pick here. 16th overall, this one coming from the Indianapolis Colts. Cornerback. Andrew Booth, here's the blurb uh, here from Dane. With Steven Nelson headed for free agency, cornerback could be a need for the Eagles this offseason. Booth is a terrific athlete, can make plays on the ball, the two most important traits when scouting the position. Booth also has above-average downhill skills to drive and blow up plays near the line of scrimmage. So, uh, Ben, to me personally, like I'm fascinated by where Andrew Booth goes in this draft. I feel like, personally but he goes a little bit higher here than the 16th pick. Uh, I love this kid's upside. Um, to me, this would be a great value selection for any team picking in the middle of round one. Yeah, and there's two guys um, that I'm hearing from some of my scout friends that expect some meteoric rises, mm. um, which is going to be tough to me, meteoric, you know, considering some of these guys are already in the first round. But Andrew Booth, particularly from Clemson, and once you start diving into who he is off the field and his athletic testing, he is going to be one of the freaks in Indianapolis this year at the Combine. And the other one, a couple picks further down, Trent McDuffie out of Washington. Ooh, okay. thinks a couple, couple of my scout friends around the league, area scouts, think he's going to be a huge riser as well once he gets into some metrics and some testings as well. Both mm -hmm. really freak athletes. But Andrew Booth at 16th overall, I think we would look back and think that's a big, big steal uh, to add into this Eagles defense. I just think you look at Booth and you say, like, all right, well, and Dane hit on it. Athleticism, ball skill, check, check. Uh, his physicality. I remember you and I were watching film. I forget who we were watching on offense, but uh, a corner came up. They were, they were playing against Clemson. A corner comes up and makes a tackle. You're like, oh, who's that guy? And I was like, oh, that's, that's Andrew Booth. Uh, you see that physicality off the perimeter. So you look at uh, athleticism, ball skills, competitiveness, like – I don't know. Like uh, that's a nice starting point uh, for a corner, a guy that has only played a couple of years here at, uh, as a starting corner on the outside. And let me ask you a question. Is there a stigma or a trend around Clemson defensive backs converting to the NFL? We've seen some like Trayvon Mullen and uh, AJ Terrell have some pretty good seasons. We've seen a lot of guys not really materialize after playing big time football for Brent Venables and Clemson, whether it's Mac Alexander or, some of those safeties on the back end that look pretty good, the TJ Greens and J. Ron Curses and, you know, some of those hulking safeties maybe didn't convert as well and as seamlessly as we thought. Any buyer beware on how Andrew Booth was maybe used at Clemson and how you envision his use then on Sundays? I think maybe there's a little bit more hesitancy with the middle of the field defenders, uh, whether it's a, a slot corner or the safety position, but those guys in the perimeter, uh, especially like, you know, if the, if there was any concern, I, I would think that AJ Terrell is kind of, uh, you know, he's been the nice mm -hmm. palate cleanser there, right? Because uh, he's just been outstanding for the Atlanta Falcons. So I would, I would think 
that that would be okay uh, for Andrew Booth moving forward uh, to the NFL. I would argue that his tools are better than any of those guys, the, the outside corners uh, that we've seen. I mean, what, what he's got, uh, it's tough to find. Um, I'd, have a, I'd have a tough time arguing that. Yeah. He looks pretty good off the cuff, and I don't think people realize Clemson's defensive scheme is a little unique. Yeah. So there's a little bit of connecting – yeah, it was. You're right. <laughs> a little bit of connecting some dots and some projections moving forward. Some of these Clemson defensive backs, linebacker safeties, their private workouts with the NFL teams, very, very important in projecting what we're going to ask them to do at the next level. All right, let's get to the next pick here. 19th overall for the Eagles, and this is pass rusher George Karlaftis. Here's the blurb here from Dane. The Eagles' defensive end depth chart will likely look wildly different next season, and Karlaftis would be a welcomed addition. The Purdue pass rusher doesn't have elite twitch or length, but he is relentless and strong with handwork that is not only violent, but also well-timed and strategic to defeat blockers. So, uh, Ben, me personally, uh, this is another guy where I say, like, yeah, like, you know, back end of the top 20, middle of the first round, like George Karlaftis, that's uh, right in the wheelhouse in terms of good value there at a priority position uh, off the edge. Yeah, you know, and he's a guy that has continued to slide as well as far as his mock draft kind of slots, a guy that was in the top five, top 10, now sliding to the back end of the teens. And he was a guy I mentioned a few weeks ago saying, you know, didn't play in the bowl game, didn't have a sexy playoff game for Purdue. He's going to be a B-plus across-the-board tester, but he's not going to wow you. And he's going to be right in the conversation to continue to slide. And maybe a Jermaine Johnson leapfrogs him. Maybe a Maje Sanders has a big senior bowl and leapfrogs him or a Kingsley Anabare. Don't overthink this kid. George Karlaftis is a heck of a football player. He is strong. He is relentless. He's a good run player and pass player. I think he would fit in on any defensive scheme in the NFL, particularly here in Philadelphia, bookend him with a Josh Sweat next to a Fletcher Cox and Hargrave in there, maybe move him around a little bit on some third downs. He's a really good player. And definitely, if you think you're going to put a tight end over this kid, oof, buyer beware there. Carl Aptis will destroy tight ends in the run game. Yeah, and we've seen that, you know, I know that obviously when you look at the athletic testing numbers for pass rushers, that can be um, a little bit of a like a, a signifier for certain players. Like, oh, this guy, uh, you know, checks this box, checks this box, checks this box. When you look at like 10 yard split and three cone and things like that um, as like, hey, this guy's got what it takes. But then we've also seen some guys that maybe they're not elite in terms of testing, but they've turned into really good players. Like the Bosa's both, you know, testing wise were just okay. Uh, you know, like Cam Jordan, right? from what I remember in 2011, like he was just okay. Brandon Graham the year before that, he was just okay as a tester. Um, but you, you see plenty of those guys. Uh, and the guy that he's often compared to, Carl Aftis, and Ryan Kerrigan, another guy, that, you know, he didn't blow the doors off uh, his test either. And just to put this whole conversation to bed with the edge rushers here, I think David Ajabo going eighth overall mm. and Carl Aftis going 19th is insane. I think Carl Laftis is a much better ready pro, better run defender, better three down player, just doesn't have that sexy explosive upside that we all get enamored with because David Ajabu is raw and an athlete and has all that room to grow. It's the whole adage of, well, don't tell me who he is today. Who can he be in three years? Ajabu excites a lot of people, but Carl Laftis is a better player today. Yeah, and obviously uh, Ojabo, a very popular pick in the top 10, top 15 of a lot of mock drafts. Uh, Dane, certainly not the only one from that standpoint. Now, uh, this mock draft, what sets this apart? Is that we got a two-round mock draft in early in mid-January, Ben. So we're going to break down the second round of this mock draft, and we'll start it off uh, with the Eagles selection, which is 51st overall, their fourth pick uh, in the first two rounds. 
Chad Vuma, linebacker, Wyoming, <laughs> a guy that you have been on, uh, almost not, not necessarily from the jump, but you've been on this guy for a long, long time. Uh, I know you're a big Muma guy. Uh, tell the tell the listeners out there what Chad Muma, the linebacker from Wyoming, brings to the table. Well, he's a big, hulking, tackling machine linebacker. He's about 6'3 and change, 245, with good speed and absolute tenacity and magnet for the football stays square to line of scrimmage exceptionally well can plug in downhill with this size and not get rattled by offensive linemen but he's got the foot speed to make plays to the numbers and out to the perimeter i think this is a guy that would be a cult sensation type player with this eagles fan base i think he would really really rally this fan base to love this kid and he's going to be a definitely a fan favorite with his ability to tackle and make plays which some think maybe that second level of the defense here in Philadelphia hasn't had a lot of playmaking ability over the last, you know, era and a couple coaching staffs here and there. So I think Chad Moma is a really good three down player. I believe he's heading down to Mobile at the Senior yep. Bowl. So if you have any of that Mountain West concerns out there, maybe you can check those boxes at Mobile against some SEC players. Reminds me a lot of Vander Esch, who came right on the scene of the Cowboys out of Boise State, also Mountain West. Same conference. Vander Esch just had the injuries, and the neck injury really set him back in his development. But it's no secret Vander Esch is the one hanging around in Dallas, and guys like Jalen Smith are on their third and fourth team since being cast off. So he's got good size. He's a physical player. And then taking one more step back of this, Fran, who would have thought Chad Moma is going ahead of these Georgia or Christian dogs? Harris, N'Kobe Dean, or uh, Clay yeah, Walker, or Channing Clay Tindall. Walker, Channing Tindall. Yeah, kind of interesting. A lot of those guys were, you know, riding the wave of Georgia, and they're big, and they're long, and they're explosive. We get excited about that. Chad Moma is the proverbial buckle your chin strap type of football player out there. So don't overthink this kid either. And, and not a big stiff either. I mean, he, he's got some athleticism. That was what you liked about Vander Esch as well, was that he had he had range. He had the ability to play in reverse. And I, I think Muma has that. Um, you know, it's not just, oh, it's the, the 6'4", 250-pound linebacker with a neck roll. Uh, yes, he is that, but he also has that those movement skills uh, that you like as well. Um, let, let's say in the second round here, we're going to go – Team fits, player team fits that we like. And since we're talking Muma, let's stay on the defensive side. I'll go there first. Uh, was there a player or team fit on defense that stood out to you most from the second round that you really liked here from this mock draft? Yeah, kind of staying with that linebacker group. I really like seeing Christian Harris fall to the Las Vegas Raiders and whoever is making those selections. Uh, unfortunately, Mike Mayock was let go this past week from his GM role. Uh, we'll see where he lands. But Christian Harris. I think falling down to what pick is that 53rd overall, I think the sixth linebacker off the board after Damone Clark, after Chad Muma, Christian Harris to that Raiders defense. I know they need some stability in the middle there. Brought over Denzel Perryman in free agency to rejoin Gus Bradley. Maybe Cora Littleton didn't really, uh, you know, ease their needs and how much they spend on free agency with him. So Christian Harris, definitely a new captain quarterback of the defense in uh, Las Vegas. No, I do. I do like that. And Christian Harris going that late, I think, is outstanding value for whoever gets, you know, even if, if you're talking like a team gets him at 45, I think that's good value. Christian Harris is a really, really good player. I've talked about that numerous times here uh, on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to go to the edge. Does I'm that surprise you at 53 really quick there, Fran? Does that surprise you? 53? Yeah, I think Christian you, Harris uh, is a first round talent uh, at the position. Well, we, right? we love speaking for Dane. So what do you think it is <laughs> in Dane's mind that makes him a less coveted player than maybe you know, Damone Clark or uh, even our own Chad Muma, who's going to end up in Philadelphia. What do you think Dane's concerns are with Christian Harris? I know we're obviously speaking for Dane and making you know some leaps here, but 
I actually wrote down Corey Littleton when I studied Christian Harris uh, last time. And I, I wrote that down in my bio. It's the very first line. And Fran, that was like two and a half years ago. You said Christian Harris reminds you of Corey Littleton. And I've yeah. never forgotten that. Yeah, that's that's down there. Uh, I think to me, like, um, I think the, bi the big knock you would have on Christian Harris is that at times he could be just a little bit slow from the read react phase. That said, I would say that about Devin Lloyd. I would say that about Quay Walker. Uh, I would say that about Damone Clark. Right. Like, I would say that about all these guys uh, that are up at the near the top of this is uh, Channing Tyndall or right? Brandon Smith. Pick your favorite linebacker. If you spin the wheel, throw a dart. Uh, for the most part, I think I would say the same thing about outside of, uh, you know, Muma. I would say that Nicobe Dean probably sees things a little bit better uh, than those guys. But outside of that, uh, I think all those guys, you would say, all right, well, they could be a little bit slow at times. All oh, they get a little bit held up on play action or any kind of pre snap motion, kind of like shark in the water. They're running that first movement kind of thing. They're very fast flow. That to me is the biggest knock on Harris outside of that. Like, I don't know that there's a lot of not a big knocks on him, um, but that's why honestly this tight end, this linebacker group in general. Uh, that's why I just feel really good about it. I mean, you talk about all these names, uh, you know, the, the Georgia kids, Harris, Lloyd, Clark, Muma. It's a it's a really good group uh, of linebackers at the top uh, of this draft. That said, uh, for my I'm going to go to the edge and I'm going to go Drake Jackson uh, to the Cleveland Browns. I, number one, I think it fits the profile uh, we picked. I picked for the Browns actually uh, earlier this week in our uh, on the clock segment. Um, and what do we talk about? Underclassmen with traits, not worried about uh, a lack of production. If there's something there to work with, uh, you know, we'll bet, especially younger guys. So. Drake Jackson, I think, fits the profile. He certainly fits a need there. They're continuing to look for defensive line depth. I like the value. I mean, Drake Jackson was a guy that, you know, early on in his career was a, a potential top five, potential top 10 pick. Even coming into this into this season, uh, he's in the in most uh, top 15s of mock drafts, uh, getting Drake Jackson in round two. Uh, at this point, as we sit here today, uh, looks like some value there for the Cleveland Browns. Let's go to the offensive side of the football. Is there a, a player team fit that you like most on offense from round two? Absolutely. And we're going to go all the way down to the very last pick here. 64th overall. He currently has a Green Bay Packers slot slid in there. It is time to find the wide tight end of the future. It is crucial to LaFleur's offense. Mercedes Lewis is the gift that keeps on giving. Yep. I think his time might be up, though, after this uh, this past run. He is one of the best pros in the NFL doing the dirty work in the run game erasing tight ends. Well, they're going to go and select Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State, who I think will be one of those top flight wide tight ends in this class that's good in the run game, can erase the tight ends. A lot of people are saying, well, what can he do for you in the pass game? Who cares, Fran? You know, what does Mercedes Lewis do in the pass game? Bubkiss. We need him to block and to do the dirty work. And it's a crucial, crucial position in LaFleur's offense. Make sure you address it. This is not a spot you can just throw in a priority free agent or, you know, a back end roster guy because it's a tight end unsexy position. This is a spot you better address and address with actual draft capital. Jeremy Rucker, I think we both think will be a really, really good pro. He's, uh, with his blocking, I mean, he's he's a game changer from that respect and what he can be done or what he can do uh, for a team at the point of attack. Uh, I will stick in the run game here, and I'm going to go to a team that's picking up at the top of the round, and that's Kenneth Walker, RB1, going to the Houston Texans there. Uh, I believe the pick was 35. I didn't write that down in my notes, but I think when you look at uh, Kenneth Walker, look, we know that he's got the ability to be that foundation player. Uh, the Texans, you know, we'll see what they do at the quarterback position, but I think when you look at Walker and, and his abilities – in the run game, um, he can be that player for an I, To me, the question just becomes, 
where are the Texans in the team building process? Is it too early to go for a back that, uh, you know, they, you know, by the time he hits the end of his rookie contract, where is Houston at that point? Are you wasting some of his good years? Uh, you know, but that's not up to Walker, obviously. So I, to me, I like the fit from a, a pure need standpoint. Um, you know, the Texans have been looking for that guy uh, at running back since Arian Foster. They don't quite have it uh, still to this, still this day, but uh, I do like the, the thought of Kenneth Walker going to Houston. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting uh, to kind of survey how the running backs fall in this class. I think it's another position that's really tough to forecast. And just trying to look ahead here on what Houston's spending their draft capital on collectively, adding a Kayvon Thibodeau into the draft at the top of round one, and then adding a Kenneth Walker there, two really good players, both sides of the ball. Just add good players to that roster. Don't try to hit and fill too many needs. Just keep adding good players. Kenneth Walker, really good player. No doubt. Well, Ben, we will uh, we'll be back next week uh, breaking things down with Dane uh, right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Have a great weekend, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so great stuff there from Ben, and we transition now to our draft mailbag. And again, the number one way for you guys to hit us up here on the podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment, just like 3,600 Samer did, who left a five-star review with the question saying, Fran, love their podcast and insight. I was wondering what you thought of the Eagles hypothetically finishing the first round with Georgia linebacker N'Kobe Dean, Georgia defensive lineman Trayvon Walker, and Cincinnati corner Ahmad Gardner. Do you think that this is realistic? So, uh, Samer, yeah, I do think that that's a, a realistic trio, and, and you could talk about what the order is uh, of that trio any way you want. But I think when you look at that trio, certainly guys that could come in and have the ability to make an impact uh, on this Eagles defense. When you look at Dean at the second level, Walker up front, Gardner in the secondary, we can kind of bounce around a little bit. I think we'll start off with N'Kobe Dean at linebacker. He has been the heart and soul of this Georgia defense for the last couple of years. Uh, his ability to play sideline to sideline, he's got good range. I think that he plays faster than how he's going to time. And even at times, there are t- you know you can see there there are some physical limitations there with Nicobe Dean. I don't think he's an A plus plus athlete, but I think when you look at his instincts, his toughness, his ability uh, to play downhill, uh, he's a solid tackler. But the way that he gets uh, gets that defense lined up, how fast he gets through his checks uh, and and really sets the alignment up front there with Georgia. That's the value that he brings is the, the true quarterback of the defense. And so you love that element uh, of his game. I think when you look at Trayvon Walker, uh, this is a guy that can line up inside and outside his versatile skill set. Again, that competitive toughness. You love uh, what he's put on display um, from a pursuit standpoint and a physicality standpoint. Uh, he, the, we know the Eagles line up in a lot of those multiple fronts and Walker he certainly brings that multiplicity, right, with his ability to line up at multiple techniques uh, and win, both as a rusher and as a run defender. And then you get to Ahmad Gardner. Uh, this is a big physical corner. I think when you talk about his ability to get up at the line of scrimmage and press you, that is something that uh, really stands out about his game at 6'2", 200 pounds. He's really aggressive. Uh, he can get off blocks and make plays in the run game, really strong on contact in all areas, and he's got a little bit of an enforcer attitude uh, to the perimeter, just a really physical, competitive kid. Uh, he can make plays on the football. He's shown the ability to be productive throughout the course of his career. He was a a consensus freshman All-American from the time he stepped on campus there in Cincinnati. So a really gifted player. 
Uh, if you're looking for a connection, he actually went to, uh, to the same high school uh, as Eagles corner Avante Maddox, uh, Martin Luther King High School uh, out in Detroit. But uh, Ahmad Gardner uh, is a, a really impressive player. Kind of reminds me uh, of Xavier Rhodes when Rhodes was coming out uh, of college, when he was coming out of Florida State, uh, went on to have a, a really good career uh, with the Minnesota Vikings and later the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I think you look at Ahmad Gardner, he brings that kind of skill set to the NFL. So, uh, yeah, three good players there, uh, Samer. And I think when you look at their ability to transition to the league, a lot to like uh, with that trio of players, and that's what makes this offseason so exciting uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles, having three first-round picks, uh, the ability to, a number of different ways, no, no matter how you slice it, that's a lot of value going into an offseason with, so uh, we'll see exactly how the Eagles use those three picks, but uh, good stuff as always from Ben Fennell, from Brandon Thorne. We will talk to Ben uh, next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben, Dane Brugler, we'll be back next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.